we will now continue in our Unbelief Sermon Series. And so uh, one thing I wanted to say before we even started today is I've been really, uh, really heartened, I guess is the word. We usually say disheartened, but I've actually been heartened at the way that um, our community in challenging these issues and, and wrestling through some of these difficult things has, has really been uh, graceful and uh, sweet in the way that we've wrestled with them. We've wrestled in love and grace. Um, I got a few emails this week related to things from last week. And um, as we talked about the essential of creation and the non-essential of how it was done, um, even that creates like, what do we do with that? And so uh, I'd love to continue to um, encourage us as a community to wrestle well with those things and to do so in grace and love and keep the essentials essential. And so having said that, uh, today we have the great joy of tackling uh, the issue of sex and gender that are complex issues in our world today, so complex Uh, that in order to do it justice, uh, we're actually going to do this for two weeks. And so if this was not what you were looking forward to, guess what? Come back next week and you get a whole nother dose. Uh, I feel like this is an important thing. It it is everywhere in our culture. It is everywhere in uh, conversation. And for us to be able to deal well with the things that are big and important in front of us, it's important that we have uh, this conversation together. And so uh, this week, what we're going to do is kind of zoom out and take a 30,000-foot view of, of these ideas um, get a, a big sense of, of what the Bible says and, and where we're kind of to start and build a foundation. And then next week, what we'll do is we'll zoom in and get really practical with how do we respond with gospel-centric love in a culture that continually shifts, okay? So um, of all the difficult issues that we're going to talk about this week of, uh, or this month and, and the Unbelief series, of all the things that we're kind of wrestling through, sexuality is often acutely painful, uh, emotionally, spiritually, for the people living in the throes of same-sex attraction or conflicting messages about homosexuality or gender dysphoria or all of these terms, some of which I had to look up because I don't even know. There's new ones that I don't understand yet. Um, This is not a distant political issue for us as the church. It is a deeply personal and spiritual issue for us and for those we love. And so my hope today is that I can approach this with some deep humility and that that comes through, that we are not talking from a place of expertise, but from a place of shared brokenness. And then in that, we find truth and move forward together. So what you believe about God and what you do with that will determine everything else you believe. Something that's true in all of life. What you believe about God and what you do with that will determine everything else you believe. And so here's where we're going we're gonna to start today. And we're going to say this three times. And so I hope if you get nothing else, this is where we come across. Um, we're going to say, if we believe that God is the designer, then we have to allow God to be the definer. If we believe that God is the designer, then we have to allow God to be the definer. Okay, so let's start in Ephesians chapter 4. Apostle Paul writes this, Now I say, this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God, the life of God. God brings life. Because of their ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart, they've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in him, is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to put on a new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul says, don't practice callous futility of surrendering to sensuality, to the impurity of whatever the dominant cultural group is at the time. Instead, lean into the new self that is being offered through Christ. It also says that the new life being offered in Christ, because if life is in God and and Christ is the way that we access God, then what's being offered to us is life. And what that would naturally imply to us is the other path leads to death. So we said what you believe about God determines 
everything else you believe. And so let me see if I can illustrate this in a way. Uh, 30 plus years ago, a Trinidadian artist uh, was recruited to help with the opening ceremonies of the 1996 Olympics that were in Atlanta. It's a big deal. He got recruited um, because he was known as a a kind of a a guy who could create a a big flamboyant sort of uh, production. Uh, If you think about the opening ceremonies, the Olympics, the art and the pageantry are, are really insane. But not just that, the scale of them is incredible. Ideas have to be interesting, they have to translate globally, and they have to be big. Because the opening ceremonies happen in a track and field venue, a football stadium supersized, where 85,000 people are going to be in attendance, and 3.5 billion people would watch on television. From all other countries, all other cultures, all other languages, and so whatever this guy was, was being commissioned to create, and he was kind of given a blank canvas, it had to translate across all those ways, and so he was really wrestling with what is big, and and can just be seen throughout the world, and everybody will somehow get it. What he created, his name was Peter Minshall, what he created was 50-foot-tall, vertical, undulating, air-powered dancers. Ooh, sounds kind of fun. It was high art. Abstraction created into supersized reality. They were stunning and glee-inducing to all who saw them. They were used again at the 1998 Super Bowl because they were so popular, people just loved them. Quietly behind the scenes, the Israeli engineer who brought the concept to functionality patented the idea and then quietly began to license the idea out and they shrunk it down into a smaller form and then would sell it to different people who could use it. And and you might be familiar with it. Now you would see it like this. You've probably seen it at a used car lot, a going out of business furniture sale, the grand opening of a new gas station. They're even used on farms now as modern scarecrows. Cities have banned them as visual clutter and even calling them visual pollution. What was high art, what was this guy's great creation for high art has been um, kind of brought down and, and, and is now synonymous with trashy promotion and furniture sales. So which is it? Is it high art as created or is it trashy promotional furniture sales? It's both. It was designed as one thing, and yet it's being deployed as another. It was designed as one thing, it's being deployed as another. Its creativity has been made cheap and consumable, but that wasn't the original design. So the question is, what does this have to do with sex and gender? If we are not careful, we take something designed as high art, and we bring it down into the land of something cheap and consumable. And what we do in the midst is we lose the beauty and the magic of it, and we sell it out to something that becomes, eh. Design matters. Design defines. And so, in a postmodern world, we have to ask the question of, of where do we land on this? And so, the question I think would be best in the statement that sex and gender are either about personal expression of identity and feelings, either that's what we're going to believe, that's, that's what sex and gender are about, personal expression of identity and feelings, or they're an intentional aspect of God's design. And if, we, if, we, if we're working through belief and we're working through, well, what I believe determines where I'm going to go with this stuff, that's kind of the, the the strategic inflection point of the day. We have to choose there. If you choose the first, it's, it's personal expression and identity, then you can take that any number of ways you want to go. If you choose the latter, which is it's an intentional aspect of God's design, then we're rooted to something different. What you believe determines how you see sex. Society believes, uh, sees a biblical view of sexuality as, uh, let's be honest, outmoded, outdated, regressive, and even oppressive. The biblical view of sexuality is outmoded, outdated, repressive, oppressive. The biblical view, as Jesus affirmed, 
So when you hear someone says, well, Jesus never talked about this, Jesus absolutely affirmed sex was designed to exist in marriage and that marriage was between a man and a woman. God designed it. God defined it. And so today, we, we walk into the slippery slope of evolving truth, where truth is kind of like, well, I think I'm going to change my mind, or I think we could update that, or I think society has told us that something has changed, and so we can go, maybe we can evolve as, uh, the truth. If we do that, here's the danger. If we think that truth is evolving, and maybe we're learning some new stuff about, about humanity, and maybe we should open our eyes to, to a new way of doing things, then what we're really admitting is that if biblical design for marriage was a man and a woman, then maybe God just didn't know what was really possible. That's what we're saying. Like, if, if God says it's between a man and a woman in a covenant relationship till death do us part, and we're believers who go, yeah, but maybe, maybe this is okay, then what we're really saying when we say maybe this is okay is maybe God didn't really know what was coming. Like, maybe he's just, just didn't know. And all of a sudden, we, we serve a God who is outdated and outmoded and repressive. Or are we saying that Jesus wasn't enlightened yet? Because that's the other thing. If, if Jesus affirmed this biblical view of sex and gender, and we follow Jesus, but we're not so sure about Jesus' ideas about sex and gender, then what are we saying? That Jesus wasn't enlightened yet? Like he didn't have the full picture? That he wasn't quite sure what, what to do with this stuff, or he didn't see it coming? That's a really hard thing to reconcile if we believe Jesus was fully God, fully man, predicted his own crucifixion and resurrection from the dead, and then pulled it off. But we don't trust him on the issue of sex and gender. That's a really tough thing to reconcile. Like, do we believe it or we not? Do we follow him or, or do we not? This is not about homosexuality or gender dysphoria. It's a bigger issue. It's about all of life, including sex and gender. That Jesus is a personal savior and redeemer of the world, and if we say we follow him, it forces us to do something hard in a culture where the easy thing is just to allow truth to evolve. And that's in all different areas. The easy thing is just to allow truth to evolve. Yeah, sure, okay, 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 fine, fine, fine. To follow Jesus is to be willing to deny ourselves, take up our cross, follow him. And sometimes the cross is I have to, I have to do the hard thing of following truth. Even if the culture thinks my truth is stupid. And so we say again, if we believe that God is the designer, then we have to allow God to be the definer. So speak to the design for a second. It's beautiful. God says man and woman were made. Man and woman, he made them. Go back to Genesis and start reading through. He made them. He made them from one material. So when you read that, that man was, was taken, uh, the rib was taken of Adam and, and from it was crafted Eve, the, the, the picture you need to get from that is, is man and woman are made from one material. They're made into two from one material. And then in union, in marriage, they come back together physically as one material again. It's a beautiful picture. The word in scripture for one in, in the Hebrew scriptures is the echad. Say echad. If you didn't spit on the person in front of you, say it a little more, a little more forcefully. Echad. Genesis 2.24, he says, Ahad, when they, they leave their father and the mother and they become Ahad, they become one together. Deuteronomy 6.4, the most precious of Jewish prayers, that the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Adonai Elohinu, Adonai Ahad, that God is one. He is perfect in unity. And when we in marriage come back together as one, we become one material again. It is a picture of the body of Christ rejoining that which created it. It is a picture of astounding beauty. And when it is violated, it becomes cheap and consumable, like it's selling used cars. Marriage is central to the biblical ark. It is a picture of faith and oneness. It starts and ends with marriage. There's a man and a woman in the garden. There's Jesus in the church at the end. 
It doesn't mean marriage is the end-all, be-all of life, but it means when we look at marriage, we have to see it a certain way. It's a profound earthly representation of a heavenly reality. And so many people live in opposition to this. Nine out of ten single self-proclaimed Christians in a recent study were found to be sexual atheists. They wouldn't have said they were that. But when, when surveyed through their uh, beliefs around these topics and surveyed about how their actions and their behaviors play out, nine out of ten single self-proclaimed Christians live as sexual atheists, meaning that their faith is in no way applied to their sexuality or sex life. Believe in God, but not in my bedroom. They engage in porneia. This is the umbrella term that Jesus used to cover all sexual sin. When Jesus described sexual sin, he called it porneia, which is where we get the modern word for pornography. But it covered all of it. Fornication, infidelity, pornography, homosexuality, any sex that is occurring outside of the design of marriage as defined in Scripture. This is dangerous. Because refusal to allow God to define his creation results in the abuse of his creation. Refusal to allow God to define his creation results in the abuse of that creation. It is personally harmful on a soul level. The Bible is clear about multiple things related to this one. God designed man and woman and held a covenant bond between them as his created ideal. This is my ideal. Two, one still, biology confirms his created ideal as the one that brings life, does it not? Biology confirms that a man and woman together is where life will then continue. Number two, sin entered the world. This is a biblical truth. This is a reality in our lives. We look around and there's no one perfect. Everybody's going sideways. Sin entered the world in this area as well, and everything kind of goes sideways. What we want from a culture has changed. And what used to be based on truth, and then we live it out, we now live it out and then decide what truth is. We've moved from a culture of should we to a culture of can we. Should I do this? Now we say, can I do that? And the question we should be asking is, what leads to flourishing? Just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. If your mother never told you that, you weren't listening. Because the reality is not all behavior leads to life. The reason that that a parent corrects a child is because that behavior doesn't lead to their flourishing. And the kid may not even see it, but the behavior doesn't lead to flourishing. So we redirect and we redirect and we redirect. And that is what God is doing in this area is he's going, you can do anything you want. You have total freedom. You can. But should you? Does it lead to your flourishing? Is that what the design was like? Does it lead to life? Um, I'll do a little experiment here. Does anybody have a smartphone? I'd like if you do, if you have your smartphone, if you're on it texting right now, even better. Just go ahead and pull your smartphone out. I just want to see it. There's, we've got one. Yeah, here we go. If we turn the lights, I'm just kidding. Turn the lights down this way. Okay. Let the podcast show there was a subtle laugh there. Um, so if I see your, so you have your phone in your hand. This is very important. I'm going to need this in a minute because I'm going to pick, at random, I'm going to pick one of you. I've been really wanting to play Frisbee, okay? And I just need someone to volunteer that we can play Frisbee with your smartphone. Okay, Andy, ready? You stay there. I'm going to go back here. Let the record show I'm standing on a speaker. Okay, this could go poorly. All right, go. This, this is going to not... Oh, oh, dear Lord. Okay. Uh, wait, wait, maybe... Wait, I got an idea. You were going to do it? That worries me. Can you or should you? <laughs> I, I don't trust that I'm going to catch it. I'm, a, I'm not very good at Frisbee, and B, I'm deathly afraid of people throwing phones at me. Okay. Do we, get, do we get something here? Do we see what's happening? Can he or should he? 
We can. He was willing, credit to him, I owe him like 20 bucks now, which is better than owing him 800 for a new phone. So when, when Steve Jobs and his team sit down and they, they design the iPhone, they designed it for something, for flourishing. Communication and, and connectedness and entertainment and frankly to just steal money out of our pockets for all these little things we buy. It was, it was created for a purpose. The, the, the phone, the smartphone has been designed for something hyper-specific. Can it be used for something else, like Frisbee? Yes, it can. You can pick up a brick paver out of the street and use it to play catch with your six-year-old, but is that for their flourishing? You can, but should you? And so over and over and over again, when we look around, even the created world and the things that we're designing, we've designed them for a purpose, and when they're taken outside of their purpose, you can do it, but does it lead to flourishing? Does that honor the designer of the phone to throw it? Probably not. Probably not. And yet we have a design. And a designer that whispers that there's something in us. There's something that we should do. There's something we should pursue. There's something that is real. There's something that is truth. I say iPhones are what they are because they're intuitive. That's always the word people have used. You can just open it up and you just kind of figure it out. It's intuitive. You just get it. It was designed for a purpose. And the same is true, sex and gender. It's just sort of intuitive. When you look at it and you step back and you take a peek, you go, yeah, it was just sort of designed for a purpose. And then we get to the difficult arguments. The big questions that we ask, what about my friend who was, who was just born that way? That's hard. What about my friend who was just born that way? My friend who struggles with same-sex attraction, who was hardwired that way. And we're going to talk a lot more about that next week, about identity and the way that we, that we engage culture through these questions. We're going to get there. The short answer is when my desire falls outside of God's intention, we are seeing the result of the fall. When my desire falls out of God's stated intention, we're seeing the result of the fall. Whatever that desire is in whatever area of life, when my desire falls out of God's intention, when my desire is greed and God's intention is generosity, that is the desire, that's the result of the fall. I'm not in my design anymore. I'm operating out of something else. I have real compassion for the same-sex attracted person, especially same-sex attracted Christian. That's a burden I wouldn't want to bear. That's a heavy load to carry. Part of the way we we talk through this is we flip the coin over and, and see that there are people in the room that I would say are burdened with opposite sex attraction. And I'm raising my hand. That I have opposite sex attraction. I'm hardwired to desire a woman. In the depth of brokenness before marriage, before I had surrendered that aspect of my life to Jesus, in the depth of my brokenness, my hardwiring to desire a woman led me to many sexual relationships with women that all led to greater brokenness and greater destruction and greater devastation. None of them led to anything fruitful. But that's my wiring, I would say. I'm hardwired for that. I see female beauty, and that's something in me yearns for it and wants it. And what do I do with that? No one in this room would say, I need to lean into my desire, into my hard wiring for women. You would say, I need to lean into my design. And I was designed for a woman. And I would say, but what if my identity, the, the conversation would go, what if my identity is that of a virile male and I have feelings of intense attraction towards women. Right? You're talking to your friend who's same-sex attracted, and they go, but this is just who I am. I have these feelings of attraction. What do you want me to do with it? 
So I say, what if that's my, that's just who I am, and I have these feelings of attraction to other women. What do you want me to do with it? You would rightly look at my family, and you would say, bro, something in that isn't right. That's what you're here for. And I would say, oh, you mean deny myself, pick up my cross, and follow him? Not lean into my desire, not lean into my feeling, not lean into my wiring, but lean into my design. When we ignore design, we lean into desire, and eventually it lands on destruction. The Me Too movement, for for all that's wrapped up in it, one thing it has done is it has empowered people, men and women, to expose just how many folks in positions of power have abused it for sexual gratification and gain. From Hollywood to D.C. to pastors and priests, there are untold numbers of victims and plenty in this room. We know that. Of people who experience sex and gender outside of its design because somebody else in power placed them there. It's a story of sex removed from its design. When we separate sexuality from God's word on the subject, we take it to some dark places. Think about it. Polygamous cults, they don't end well. Infidelity gashes hearts. The correlation of gender dysphoria and gender transition and ongoing mental health and suicidal behaviors are deeply troubling, and there's a lot that's being written about it in academia right now. Kids born outside of marriage covenant have radically worse outcomes, even optimized, are radically worse outcomes than kids inside a biblical family structure. So where sex is designed as the physical embodiment of covenant love, of total vulnerability in the midst of total commitment, Outside of that design, we get abuse and brokenness and destruction and sadness. Dr. Julie Slattery says God doesn't see us in categories of our sexuality. He sees his beloved creation deceived by sin and rebellious in nature. That we are not our sexuality, we are not our attractions, we are not our desires. That we are his beloved creation and God looks upon us and sees us as his beloved creation who's been deceived by a sin that has entered into the world. We were created to flourish. Ephesians said that we read it, said we were created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And there are no shortage of false righteousnesses to, ta- to chase, of false holiness, of false desire. And it said, but you were created for a true one, a new life, but you have to put off the old self and put on the new self. That Jesus didn't come to bring oppression, he came to bring life. He didn't come to bring denial. He came to bring flourishing. He saw us deceived in sin, and he gave his life to offer us new life as he designed it, a life of joy and hope and deep meaning. Jesus is the healer, and he has a plan for each of us to draw us back into our design, into the new self that is the result of the reunion of man and God through Jesus. Jesus desires to draw us back into ichad, into oneness with him in every area of our life. So in that, for ourselves and others, we are to show radical love for all of God's creation. Sexual sin is not special sin. So wherever we find people struggling, when we struggle, we are to stand in the gap, we are to fight for those who are hurting, we are to listen to the heart's cry in the midst of their struggle, and we are to offer grace while we hold truth. If we believe that God is the designer, then we have to allow God to be the definer. And we have to believe that his designed intention for your life and mine is flourishing. Let's pray. Lord, this is uh, 
challenging and complicated. Father, this stirs up things in so many. So we just acknowledge that in front of you, God, that uh, having 30 minutes twice over, over a couple of weeks to, to discuss these things, even that feels less than thorough to me. And yet, God, your truth pierces through that, and your truth is greater than, than anyone's ability to unpack these things. So, Father, I pray that your, your truth and your light and your wisdom would just uh, sort of penetrate our hearts. Father, as we consider what the practical implications are, how we treat those around us, how we interact with a world that is uh, awash in desire and not concerned about a definer. Father, I pray that you would give us a deep well of grace from which to operate, that you would uh, bring us to a place of, of beauty where we can hold out your truth in a way that uh, brings you glory. God, in a way that leads others to life and away from the brokenness. Father, for those in our community who are still trapped in the brokenness, whatever that looks like, whatever angle or area of this whole topic that is in, past abuse, current infidelity, secret sin. Father, I pray that today would be the day you break through, that your grace is uh, awash on us. Father, that hearts are set free and that we remind ourselves that we are your children because you said so, that we are who you say we are. Father, thank you for loving us, for sending Jesus to bring us life and flourishing. Pray that you would carry us through the difficult times that we might lean into our design and know the fullness of who you are. Amen.